0: again, loving Father we come before you again and we just lift up our voices in praise, our hearts in worship and those that have been named this morning, Father we bring them before you, some are yours. Some are not, but they are ours. And as we lift them up before you this morning, Father, we just pray for each one with their varying degrees of difficulty in life. And Father, we would ask that you would keep us ever watchful in our prayers over these people. Sometimes we can be guilty of just dumping a problem in your lap and assuming you will deal with it. But, Father, you look for faithfulness in us. And we just pray, Father, that through our faithfulness in prayer, first of all we will please you and you will hear us and you will answer our prayer in accordance with your will and father now if we pray for your blessing upon our brother George pray that you have been in his preparation this week that you will now anoint his lips we wish you hear your voice through your word speaking to each heart and each mind here this morning Father we thank you for your presence here this morning and we just pray now that as we hear your word it will be alive to us that we shall indeed put it into practice living it out day by day, bringing honour and glory to the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Through the way that we live, through the way that we speak, through the way that we act, let people see him in us, we pray. Amen. Thank you, George. i have a quick
1: sip of water. Well, it's a privilege to be with you again this week. Um, I trust the Lord will, will bless us as we come to his word now, as it, we've already known his presence among us as, we've, as we have worshipped. And so, if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. We're continuing in the series in the book of Acts, which I think we've been going, you've been going through as a church, and we're continuing that series today. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2. The first 13 verses, verse 1 down to verse 13. This portion of scripture has been described by many as the birth of the church. This is what's taking place here on the day of Pentecost. And so if you have your Bibles open, we'll read that portion of scripture now from the infallible word of God. It's Acts chapter 2 verse 1 down to 13. each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mocking said they are filled with new wine ending there in verse 13 and we'll just have another word of prayer we cannot pray too much can we so we we'll just ask the Lord for his for his help once again let's pray heavenly father we Thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence among us already. And we pray that as we continue our worship with the preaching of your word, we ask that you would speak to each one of us and that you would help me. Lord, we, we need you. We need you to, underst- to help us to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. And I need your help, Father, to preach it. And we pray that now you would, you would work in our midst by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so it's been roughly 50 days since Jesus Christ was crucified and rose again. And he has left 12 apostles and about 120 believers in total. He's left them with the task of taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death for our sin and his resurrection from the dead. He's left this group of under 200 people to take this message to the world, to tell the world that Christ died for them. This group of 200 people in Jerusalem, hiding in the upper room for fear of the religious leaders. And it's important to know at this time there's no plan B. This is it. As these, these believers in Christ, these Christians, 120 of them were gathered in the upper room, the future of the church, if you like, humanly speaking, depended on these people. The eternal well-being of the entire population of this planet, the human race. Humanly speaking, depended on this obscure group of people. And so thinking of that, and we must ask the question, Well, how would that be possible? How would that be possible? They're cowering in the upper room, hiding. Peter, just a, a while before this, denied Christ three times for fear of being found out. How will these people complete this task? Well, in our text this morning, the obvious answer is because God did not leave them to do it in their own strength. Jesus again and again promised to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And now the book of Acts covers roughly 30 years of history. It's important to know that. The book of Acts tells us how the church started and how it grew so rapidly. In the book of Acts, somewhere it says that they turned the world upside down. And the book of Acts tells us how the disciples did that. And our reading this morning starts at the beginning. Starts at where it all began. With the sending of the Holy Spirit. Our reading this morning starts with the beginning of the church as we know it today. The New Testament church. And these, these verses from, from verse 1 down to verse 13. They are a fulfilment of the promise of Jesus Christ in Acts 1, verse 8. In Acts 1, verse 8, and this is really the outline that we're going to use. Jesus' promise is the outline of our passage this morning, really. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus promised his disciples this. He says, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we see this fulfilled in the first section of our passage, verses 1 to 4. We see the Holy Spirit was sent. The Holy Spirit was sent, and the believers were born of the Spirit. The first part of Christ's promise was fulfilled. And then the second part, in Acts 1 verse 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Well, we see this fulfilled in a, in a beginning form, if you like, in a seed form, in verses 5 to 13, when the Holy Spirit sends the disciples out, and witnesses to all the people, who who witnessed to all the people that were there. The Holy Spirit sends, and the believers were enabled by the Spirit. And so we're going to look at the, uh, the scripture in those two sections, if you like. But it's important for us to know that as we look at this portion of scripture, that the same task that was upon the church then, all those years ago, is still upon the church today. There's more of us, thank God. And the church has spread wider than obviously it it was here. But the same task is binding upon us. The population of the world is is far greater than it was then. Billions of people without Christ. And the same responsibility that was on them is on us. Be witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And this means to tell your boss about Christ. Your boss, your work colleagues, your next door neighbour. And it also means... To tell the unreached in our world with the gospel of Christ. When we look at ourselves and we know our own uh, shortcomings, don't we? We know our weaknesses. We can ask the same question that we could ask about these apostles and, these, this, hundred and this group of 120 believers. Or well, how is it possible? How is it possible for people like us to fulfill such a great task? Well, in our passage this morning, we learned that it's, it's, it's certainly possible. It's very possible. It's more than possible. And the reason is because we see the Holy Spirit was sent, and it's the Holy Spirit who sends. And we're going to look at this, this, this portion of scripture in those two sections. The Holy Spirit was sent, and the Holy Spirit sends. So firstly then, we look at the Holy Spirit was sent in verses 1 to 4. And here we see that believers were born of the Spirit. They were born of the Spirit. In this first section, we see the Holy Spirit was sent. And there are two facts about the sending of the Holy Spirit that I want us to notice this morning. The first one was that He came at the appointed time. He came at the appointed time. Second, He came to every believer. He came at the appointed time and He came to every believer. Firstly then, He came at the appointed time. Look with me at verse 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place in the av it says when the when the when the day of pentecost had fully come it was fulfilled it had finally arrived as we see here the holy spirit as i've mentioned already was promised wasn't he jesus promised him in john chapter 14 verse 16 and 26 john chapter 15 26 john chapter 16 7 jesus said i'm going to send the comforter i'm going to i'm going away but do not be sad or upset because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and then in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 we have the promise again and it says this Jesus says you heard of me so you heard from me I'll start from the beginning eh? and while staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father and he said you heard from me for John baptized with water you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus again in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 promised the Holy Spirit that they had already heard about and we've spoke about his promise in Acts 1 verse 8. The Holy Spirit was promised and here we have them waiting. They were waiting. And then verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. This was the appointed time. So why did God choose the day of Pentecost? This was part of God's sovereign plan. So why did he choose Pentecost? Well Pentecost was one of three major Jewish festivals. It's called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. And it was very popular. Uh, they they estimate that up to 200,000 people could be in Jerusalem at this time, travel from all over the, 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 the known world to come and celebrate this festival. And we see in, in verses 9 to 11 that there was a whole, a whole array of nations who came to worship at this time. There was lots of people there. And knowing this, these simple facts. It makes sense doesn't it. That the reason why God chose Pentecost. Was so that all of these people. From all of these nations. Could hear the, the gospel. Could see the, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit. And all of these miraculous things that took place on that day. And then they could hear the good news of Christ. Which is what Peter preaches in the, in the rest of the chapter. God perfectly timed the day of Pentecost. I'm sure that the disciples were, were, were crying out to God. We're still waiting for the Holy Spirit. Why hasn't he come? I'm sure they were being, becoming impatient. The Lord promised to send him. But here we read, suddenly he came on the day of Pentecost. He came at the right time. God's timing is perfect. And a simple, simple application here for us is that we can trust God's timing in our own lives. The day of Pentecost was, was planned by God. And it was a perfect timing when we look at the circumstances that surrounded that day. And God's timing is perfect in our life as well. And we can trust that his plan is perfect. And we can leave everything with him. So the Holy Spirit came at the appointed time. The next fact that we see about the Holy Spirit was that he came to every believer. He came to every believer. Now in this account of, of the day of Pentecost... There are things that took place that were unrepeatable. They will not happen again. They took place then and they were one-off events. They marked a great change in the life of the church. But they are unrepeatable. But there were other things that took place that are repeatable and that do happen today and that must happen today. And we're going to look at what took place on Pentecost in these two ways. The unrepeatable and the repeatable. So first the unrepeatable event, the first one that took place out of three, we see in verse 2. Read verse 2 with me. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and suddenly the entire house, and, sorry, and filled the entire house where they were sitting. There came a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. As the 120 believers were gathered there in the upper room, a sound like a tornado, that's what it's saying, a mighty rushing wind, a blast of wind, a sound of it, filled the house. It's worth noticing, I've just emphasised it then, that this was was a sound like a wind. It wasn't an actual wind, but it was a sound like a wind. And this this happened and it filled the house, and I'm sure they were amazed. But this is not something that we should expect to see today. It was symbolic. So what did it symbolise? Well, throughout the, the, the Bible, we see that the, the wind, which is what's being symbolized here, was often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 37, don't we? When God said to the prophet Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind. And he speaks about the dry bones. And then God likens this to his Holy Spirit that he will give to his people. God likens the wind to the holy spirit again we see this in john chapter 3 where jesus likens the wind to the holy spirit he said the wind blows where it wants to and you can hear the sound of it you can see the effects of it but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going and so it is with the spirit that's what jesus says again and again throughout the bible the wind and the spirit are used as the wind's used to uh, symbolize the spirit and it's worth noticing just in passing maybe it's not that important but in greek and in hebrew the Greek was the language of the New Testament. Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament. The word for wind and spirit are the same. They're the same word. And so that's, that's why you see the symbolism a lot. And so this mighty rushing wind was symbolic of the coming of the Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit. And that was unrepeatable. It, we don't expect to see that today. When a person becomes a Christian, we don't listen out for a mighty rushing wind to know if it's taken place. That was unrepeatable. The second unrepeatable event that took place was found, is found there in verse 3. Verse 3 says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Here Luke records that the Spirit not only came with a noise of a mighty rushing wind, but he also came as fire. Now again, throughout the Bible, fire is symbolic of the presence of God. If you read in Exodus, you see Exodus chapter 3. Where God appears to Moses in the burning bush. God's presence was symbolized by the fire. Again in in 1 Kings 19. I think it is. Yep. No. Exodus 19, sorry. Where uh, God comes down upon Mount Sinai, doesn't he? There's fire. And the top of the mountain is burned. Fire again and again represents the presence of God. In Hebrews it says our God is a consuming fire. And so the fire that we see here in this, on the day of Pentecost was symbolic. Notice Luke said, the author of this, of this uh, book, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, as of fire. So it wasn't actual fire, but it was tongues as of fire. It looked like fire. And it was sim- symbolizing the presence of God Almighty. This was a one-off event. We don't expect to see this today. When people become Christians, we don't look around For tongues of fire to rest upon them. And the third one-off event that took place is found there in verse 4. Verse 4 says this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not the one-off event. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the final and unrepeatable event that took place was that the moment the believers received the Holy Spirit. They all started to speak in other languages, other languages, that's what the word tongues means there, it's actual languages that could be understood, and the moment the Holy Spirit came upon all of them, it says that they were filled with the Spirit, and they started to speak in other languages, languages they'd never learned before, all of a sudden, and now we don't expect to see that today, when people become Christians. The Apostle Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10 and 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30 that not everybody has the gift of tongues. So obviously if not everybody has the gift of tongues, speaking languages they've never learned, then how can, can, can we expect every person when they become a Christian to, to have this gift? Well we don't. And this was a, a one-off event and it becomes clear as we, re- as we read through the passage that the reason why they received this gift was well, so they could go out into the streets and proclaim the good news in all the different languages of all the people who were there on this miraculous day. It was to mark this, this, this event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was a one-off event. And these three events that we've just mentioned were unrepeatable. We don't look for them today. So what was it that was repeatable? What, what was it that we look for today when a person becomes a Christian? What was the repeatable event? Well, the repeatable event was that every believer there in the upper room received the Holy Spirit. Every single one of them received the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. It says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not given to a select few Believers. He was not just given to the apostles, but rather every believer in the upper room received the Holy Spirit for themselves. And now, receiving the Holy Spirit like this is what takes place at conversion. The moment a person becomes a Christian by turning from their sin and believing in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. This takes place at conversion. This is what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can read some older writers and they tended to mix up the word baptised with the Spirit with the phrase filled with the Spirit and because of that a lot of confusion arose. But actually being baptised with the Spirit was what took place at conversion. Yes, you can be filled with the Spirit for a particular task and we see that throughout the book of Acts again and again. The apostles were filled and as Christians we need to keep being filled. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 8, I think it is, be filled with the Spirit And as Christians, that's what we need. We need to be filled again and again. But you're only baptised with the Spirit once. And this happens at conversion. And Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, when he says, For in one Spirit we were all baptised into one body, the Church. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. This is what happens when a person believes in Christ. They're born again. They're baptised by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of them. He takes up permanent residence inside of that person. Henry Scrooge was an old author. And he wrote a book. And this book influenced the conversion of George Whitfield. If you don't know George Whitfield, read his biography. But uh, he read this book. And the book was called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And that's what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. The Life of God in the Soul of Man. This is what happens when a person becomes a Christian. This is what it means to be born again. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of them. And in fact, the Bible says if this has not happened to a person, well, then they are not a Christian. They're not a Christian. Romans 8 verse 16 says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Does not belong to him. Jesus said in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is something that happens to every Christian. And if this has not happened to you, well, then you're not a Christian. This needs to happen. It must happen. And now this was a great change from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the believers, not everybody had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to people in the Old Testament for a specific task. For example, the prophets. Or you read in, um, in the account of when they were building the temple. And God gave his spirit to, 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 to the man who, who made all the engravings and all of the, the decorations. God gave him his spirit to empower him for, for that particular task. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, this has all changed. And now every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has God dwelling inside of them, working through them, living in them. And now this is amazing, really. And, and if you're a born-again Christian this, this morning, and really a born-again Christian is, is, a, is, a, is a deceptive term because the only Christian is a born-again Christian. If you, you know, I was speaking to someone recently. Well, you hear it all the time. because I'm not one of those born-again types. Well, then you're not a Christian, dear friend, if you're not born again. That's what the Word of God says. It's, it's very clear. I was speaking to a man just the other day, and he said, well, that's what, happens to, that's what happens to people when they just start going to church, he said. They are born again. He said, I'm not born again, he said. I've been going to church since I was, for 80 years, he said. Now, maybe he's misunderstood it, maybe he was a real Christian, I don't know. But, but the Bible says that every Christian is born again. They have the Holy Spirit, they become new. And this is wonderful for those who know Christ, and for those of us who are born again. It teaches us that there are no second-class Christians There's no such thing as a second-class Christian. No one's better than anyone else. We've all received of the same Spirit. We're all one in Christ. As you read through the book of Acts, you see that the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit the same way the Jews did. Now, the Samaritans were despised a lot of the time by the Jews. And then the Gentiles received the same Holy Spirit in the same way. And God is saying through the book of Acts, Everyone who believes in Christ, we're all one. We're all the same. There's no hierarchy. No one's better than everybody else. We've all received of the same Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit as Christians, we know that God is with us and God enables us to do things we could not do otherwise. Because we have the Holy Spirit, God is sanctifying us. He's making us more and more holy every day. The Bible says we're changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. This is what's taking place for those of us who have the Holy Spirit inside of us. God gives us strength to do things we could not do otherwise. Love your enemy. The only reason why a Christian can do that is because God's Spirit is within them. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. All of these gifts, all of these fruits, sorry, of, of, of of the Spirit. And we praise God for that. Every believer. But then... If you don't have the Holy Spirit, well, the application here is, well, you you need to have the Holy Spirit. If you've not been born again, well, you need to be born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, unless you know this conversion experience, unless you put your faith in Christ and are born again by God's Spirit, well, you're not a Christian. Jesus says, you shall not see the kingdom of God. So you might say, well, how will I know I'm born again? Do you think a baby, when it comes out of the womb, is uncertain whether it's born it knows things have changed, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it's, it's in a whole new reality. And that's what happens the moment a, poor, a person becomes born again, they're in a whole new reality, a spiritual reality. All of a sudden, things are different. Now they, they hunger for the word of God. Now they want to please God and love God. That's what takes place at conversion, and that's how you know you're born again. But Jesus said, "Unless this happens, you cannot see the kingdom of God." And so the Holy Spirit came to every believer. The fire, the wind, the languages, they were one-off events. But everybody receiving the Holy Spirit, well that happened then and it must happen now. And so we see the first part of the promise of the Lord Jesus fulfilled. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit was sent and the believers were born of the Spirit. Then in verses 5 to 13, moving very quickly now, we see that the second part of Jesus' promise was fulfilled. This is what Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It is the Holy Spirit who enables and equips the church to fulfill its task of taking the gospel to the nations. And this is what we see in the, in the final part of our reading. Verses 5 to 13, the Holy Spirit sends. Believers were enabled by the Spirit. In the second part of the passage, we see that the Holy Spirit equips. And sends out believers to take the good news of Christ to the lost. And we see two facts about the witness of the church on Pentecost. Two facts about what the Holy Spirit did through the church then. We see that the church was enabled by the Holy Spirit in order to witness effectively to those who were there. And we also see that there was a mixed reaction. There was a mixed reaction by the people who were being witnessed to. The church was enabled and the reaction was mixed. So first then, we see that the church was enabled by the Spirit. In verses 5 to 11, Luke records for, his believer, for, for the readers what happened the moment the Holy Spirit came upon the believers there on Pentecost. In verse 5, he records that there were lots of different people in Jerusalem. From every nation under heaven. In verse 6 he says that they all came together. And they were amazed at this sound and and what they were hearing. People speaking, the Galileans speaking in their own language. And they were amazed. And then in verse 7 he explains the reason for their amazement. I've just mentioned it. This is what the people said. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? He says there's all these people. And now they've all come together. And they're amazed. And then he says why they're amazed. Because these Galileans are speaking in our own languages. In our native tongues. They were amazed because most of these Christians were from Galilee. And yet they knew the languages fluently of the places they've just travelled from. In order to come to Jerusalem. And now it's important for us to know some background here. The Galileans, the people from Galilee, were known for speaking funny, if you like. They struggled to pronounce words. They had a a funny accent. They had bad grammar. They were classed as people who were uneducated, who were uncultured. They were probably classed as simple country folk, you could say in our kind of the way we say things. That's what the Galileans were like. They were renowned for it. And yet here, we have them standing boldly and proclaiming the wonders of God in languages they've never learned. And of course, the people were amazed. How can these simple Galileans, they can't even speak, they can't even speak Greek properly or Aramaic properly. Never mind all of these other nations. How is this possible? How is this taking place? And they were amazed. They were, they were perplexed. How is this possible? Well of course the answer is because the Holy Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit empowered them to take the gospel to these nations. People And the the obvious application for us here this morning is if the Holy Spirit can cause these Galileans to preach and to praise God in languages they've never learned, well, surely God can enable each one of us here this morning to share the gospel with those who are around us. Surely if God can enable these Galileans to preach in other languages, well, he can enable us to share the gospel in English. Surely he can. Here we see all excuses about not being able to do it well, they all fall away. Because if the Galileans can do it in a language they've never learned, well, we could do it in English. Here we see that, that all fears of not being smart enough, well, that falls away as well. Because these people have never learned these languages, but yet they spoke spoken them fluently. When the Holy Spirit enables a person to share the gospel, he enables them to do it effectively. And all excuses fall away. God doesn't expect us to evangelize and share the gospel in our own strength. He gave us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And because of that, the Galileans could preach in other languages. And because of that, we can share the gospel with those around us. Jesus here is fulfilling his promise. You will be my witnesses in every nation. Every nation. This was the task of the church then. And it's the task of the church now. So we must ask, well, how how are we getting on with this task? The church today in the 21st century, well, how are we getting on with taking the gospel to the nations? Well, here's some statistics for you there are 7,078 unreached people groups in our world today. That's a total of 3.15 billion people, 3.15 billion people who have little or no access to the gospel. That's 41.4%. Of the world's population who will probably die never hearing the name of Christ. Let alone hearing what he did for them upon the cross. I don't think we're doing a very good job, are we? Humanly speaking. All these unreached people, almost half of our world, never even heard the gospel. Never even heard the gospel. But yet, the, the encouraging thing is, and I want us to be encouraged that by the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can take the gospel to the nations. How many people in Paynton do not know Christ, have not even heard the gospel? Well, because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we can take the gospel to our neighbors, to our boss, and to the people around us. Because God's Spirit lives inside of us, this is what took place on Pentecost. And this is what will take place today. If only we would step out and be obedient to the, the task of evangelism. The, believer, the believers were enabled by the Spirit. And God will enable each one of us if we step out and share the gospel. And next we see the reaction, just briefly. There was two kinds of reaction when the church shared the gospel. One was positive and the other was negative. Some were amazed. And this amazement turned to their conversion. As you read through the, the, book of, through the second chapter of Acts, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 souls were added to the church, it says. And that's a good reaction, isn't it? But not everybody responded in that way. It says in, in the end of verse 13 that some mocked. Some mocked. And it, sometimes it doesn't matter how well we share the gospel, people will mock. And that's an encouragement for me, and it's encouragement for those of us who do share the gospel. Because people do mock us. And people give us a hard time. And people can be very rude. And people can just make you feel about that big. But the thing is, it's not because we're doing anything wrong. They did it to the apostles on the day of Pentecost who are speaking in different languages. And well, they'll do it to us as well. But what is encouraging here is although some did mock, and we expect that, look how many people were saved. And we know that that God is building his church. And when we take the gospel, people will mock, but people will be saved. Here we see 3,000 souls were saved. And you can share the gospel with your boss, maybe he'll belittle you, maybe he'll make you feel stupid, but you never know. Maybe he'll come under conviction and maybe he'll get saved. This is what we see here in the end of the book of Acts. And it's a great encouragement to us. And I hope we feel encouraged to share the gospel with those we know. And so we started this morning, just in conclusion, we started this morning thinking about the task of the church to witness to the nation. And we thought about how would this be possible. These simple Christians in the, in the upper room. And in our passage on the day of Pentecost. We learned how it was more than possible. Easily possible. Because the Holy Spirit was sent. And the Holy Spirit sends. Believers are born of the Spirit. And believers are enabled by the Spirit. And because of Pentecost. We today here in Great Parks. We can fulfill the Great Commission. By the grace of God. God working through us, which he promises, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, we can take the gospel to the lost. And indeed, we must take the gospel to the lost. We should be encouraged by these truths that we learn from Pentecost. So I'll just remind you, three truths that we learn from Pentecost, just as we finish now. The first truth we learn, every believer receives the Holy Spirit. There are no second-class Christians. Everyone who believes in Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're born again. Second truth, the Holy Spirit enables believers to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit, then you can share the gospel. It's as simple as that. They, the Galileans preached in languages they'd never learned fluently. And we can share the gospel effectively with the people we know because the Holy Spirit is in us. Third truth, there will be mixed reactions to the witness of, of the church. But we know that by the grace of God, people will be saved. And that's encouraging for us. And so to to sum up, as we finish now, in a sentence, Pentecost means that God has given every believer all that they need to share the gospel with the people who need to hear it. And this is the promise of Jesus Christ in Acts 1 verse 8, completely fulfilled. Jesus keeps his promises. But the question that I want to leave each one of us with this morning, that I want us to go with, is this. God has given us all we need to effectively share the gospel Well, the question is this morning, will we be obedient? Will you be obedient as a child of God, follower of Christ, to take the gospel to the lost people around you? Will you share the gospel with the lost, the people you know who are without Christ? As we see, all excuses have gone now. If the Galileans could do it in other languages, we can do it in English. So I'll just leave us with that challenge. And we know that God will give us the power we need through the Holy Spirit. We'll just have a word of prayer and then I'll I'll hand back over. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day of Pentecost. We thank you for all that it meant. That now we who believe in Christ have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The life of God in the soul of man. And we thank you for him. We thank you for all that he enables us to do. And for how he's changing us every day to be more like Christ. And Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word. And we pray that you will enable us to share the gospel with the lost. To have a, a desire to reach the unsaved. Lord, help us to rely upon you, and not to look upon our weakness, but to look upon your strength. We thank you that through Christ we can do all things. Who, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Father, if there are any here this morning who are not born again and they know it, we pray, Lord, that you would save them, that they will experience the new birth that's so necessary for salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.